Welcome in, Murray State Basketball Podcast. Busy week for Murray State Basketball. Busy week for the podcast here. The Racers, three games in four days at the Myrtle Beach Invitational. And boy, game number one could not have gone better. 88-79 winner over Texas A&M. First win over a ranked opponent in almost 11 years since the Bracket Buster win over St. Mary. But today... Racers quickly have to put that one to bed, and 1.30 this afternoon in Myrtle Beach, another national TV game, ESPN2. Uh, the Racers will take on UMass in the semifinals of the tournament. We will preview that coming up a little bit. We'll also talk with the voice of the Murray State Racers, Neil Bradley, get his thoughts about yesterday, and also peek ahead a little bit to what the Racers have in store today uh, when they take on the Minutemen. Had a chance to go back and watch, sort of chart last night's game with the win over AM. And, you know, again, kind of, I'm really impressed defensively with what this starting five has done for two games in a row now against pretty darn high level Division I talent. We saw last week against SLU. You know, Murray State's, you give up 91 points. You're not feeling great about things, but when you sort of chart, you know, each lineup combination and so on, the best defensive lineup Murray rolled out there was the starting five. And that's exactly what happened again yesterday. 32 possessions, give up 0.94 points per possession, which, I mean, anything less than one, you're you're pretty happy with that. And then on the flip side, offensively, that starting fivesome offensively went 1.41 points per possession. So incredibly efficient. And and really the biggest difference yesterday, I think just from a, from a rotational standpoint that we saw uh, with, with what Steve Prohm was rolling out there, was he rode with his starting five more than what he did against SLU. And I think there was a little bit, when you go back to the SLU game, I think there was a little bit where, you know, Steve was searching. You know, he was searching for some answers really throughout, really, the first 30, 32 minutes before the game ultimately got away. And so there was a lot of mix-and-match combinations. He only played seven guys yesterday. And so, obviously, you're, you're, uh, you are limited on what you were going to see from a – from a uh, the the sheer amount of of combos thrown out there, and I believe the number was sixteen. That the starting lineup against SLU they only played together for sixteen possessions, and it was eighteen possessions as I'm looking at it. Eighteen possessions. They played thirty two yesterday, so able to get them. Look, they're the starting five for a reason. That's your best lineup you can roll out there, and so far especially on the defensive end, that has proven true. We talked last week about kills, where you hold your opponent scoreless on three straight possessions. Murray State had zero against SLU. Yesterday, they had six. They had two before the first media timeout. That was how night and day, I, I, you just can't underscore it enough, just how how different the defensive effort was yesterday against the Aggies. I mean, they they start out, they stop four in a row, 
and then five possessions without giving up a point, three, four, three, and three. So, I mean, you had three kills, and then you had three three stretches with even more than the three. Against SLU, SLU shut uh, Murray down. Murray had uh, SLU had six kills against Murray last week. A&M only had three, which, again, speaks to an offense that was a little bit more in gear. The longest stretch, they went seven straight possessions, did Murray, without scoring in the first half. They got off to that you know fast start, got up 5-6, and then they just went stagnant for about three, four minutes. But their defense was shutting A&M down too, so they did not really uh, have to pay uh, the price. So far, that starting lineup, and that's the starting lineup of uh, Rob Perry, Kenny White, Jacoby Wood, DJ Burns, Jamari Smith. Steve has had them on the floor together so far about a third of the time. And part of that, part of what had to come out yesterday, you know, was was Jamari Smith in foul trouble, so he was having to he was having to be worked in and out. Um which is okay. Ultimately, when you're playing seven guys, you got to get some breaks. So that foul trouble is not necessarily, you know, the worst thing. So far, the number that I found interesting is so far, when Smith and Burns are on the floor together, that's about 40% of the time. So the other 60% of the time, give or take, it's four guards. And that is just somewhat out of necessity. Because Smith and Burns can't play 40 minutes because we haven't found, you know, those young, undeveloped yet big guys, you know, the Lestons, the Murrays and such, where they're not ready for prime time in these high leverage situations. So Steve has no choice but to go four guards. But that is that is the the zig to everybody else's zag. You're rolling out big lineups, we're just going to go small. And we're going to try to run by you, and we're going to try to use our our speed to beat you. Yesterday, that certainly worked. But uh, it was interesting just to see the number dynamic there of how, you know, 60% of the time, it's a four-guard uh, lineup out there. I thought yesterday was a and – I, I know I've beaten this, beaten this into the ground so far. But, you know, this season as a whole – Certainly, you know, in the macro, in the micro, this trip to Myrtle Beach, there's a sense of, I don't know what we're getting. I don't know. You know, everything's on the table. As I said last night, everything's on the table. Go win the whole thing in Myrtle Beach. Go 0-3. Like every option I could listen to an argument for and could completely buy. But I think what we saw yesterday with the win over Texas A&M is it recalibrated the ceiling for this team this year? I don't know necessarily if it changes expectations for the year for people, but it recalibrates the ceiling. I don't expect, and I think it would be ridiculous to expect, Murray to play as well as they played yesterday to have them do that 30 more times this year. This is still a work in progress. This is going to be a work in progress for weeks and maybe months to come. 
I think you come out of slew and you have concern. That you're like, oh, that's a really good team. But we've got to play a lot of really good teams this year. I don't know how this team is going to stack up. But then you watch them yesterday. And you watch them. You know, the, After slew, the ceiling feels lowered. And we are, we are 100% in the time of the year where... You, 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 your knee-jerk reaction is to make a broad generalization and paint with very broad strokes after everything we see, after every little thing we see. Because we don't have a lot of information to try to take a, you know, let's roll it all together and, and try to make an educated thought of what we have seen. Small sample size, people tend to overreact. Good, bad, or indifferent. Can overreact coming out of the slew loss. Can overreact completely the opposite way. You know, out of out of the win yesterday over AM. But what it has done for me is it has recalibrated the ceiling of this team that the ceiling after yesterday has now gone up several notches. We know they can play at that level. The question now is how often can they get to that level? How often can they get within arm's reach of that level? And is it possible in the weeks and months to come that they can recalibrate it again and maybe even push it higher? But at least for one day, everybody's feeling great. And everybody should feel great. That was a tremendous, tremendous win. And I know this is stuff that nobody ever thinks about. For you know, I'm sure Steve didn't think about it. It was actually brought up to by my wife yesterday, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, why not? The petty side of my heart feels good. As Murray State beats Texas A&M. As Steve Prome beats Texas A&M. Beats a Texas A&M team that fired his best friend and mentor in Billy Kennedy. I don't know. I'm sure Steve didn't think about that at all. But if there's, you know, that 0.01% of his heart... Maybe enjoyed it just a little bit more. Get that little revenge dish served ever so cold in Myrtle Beach as uh, as the racers take down the Aggies. All right, let's uh, let's bring in the man that was on the call yesterday. Been on so many calls. Uh, the voice of the racers, Neil Bradley, get his thoughts on the big win yesterday, and then start flipping ahead to what we can expect later on today against UMass. <laughs> All right, Neil Bradley, eighty-eight seventy-nine. Uh, the floor is yours. Uh, what what just jumps off the page to you from a team we saw ten days ago really just get manhandled at Slough, and tonight, as I so eloquently put it, uh, they did a lot of ass kicking for a solid thirty minutes tonight against the top twenty-five team in America. Well, I don't think they liked it when it was done to them, uh, and it doesn't feel good. They had to simmer on that didn't really learn anything from the Lindsey Wilson game about themselves really except that they knew they needed to get better for the next big test and this was the next big test uh, could they match that intensity for an entire 40 minutes uh, I didn't even know the answer to that uh, honestly I thought Texas A&M would have the edge there that's kind of their calling card but uh, this team was able to do that um, I'm sort of shocked not as much how tough they played and how hard they played, 
is how they were able to get shots off. They made threes. They made threes when it counted. Uh, when Texas A&M looked as if they were going to make that run to get over the hump, finally take the lead, this team responded like a veteran team. And I know there's veterans on the team, uh, especially the seven who played tonight, but in terms of veterans playing together, there's not much. And this was uh, just absolutely tremendous, Jeff. That, uh, this team was able to, to come together in jail this quickly. But I know it's a quick turnaround. Things could look totally different tomorrow. But for one day, it is phenomenal. Against SLU, you know, they took some shots. You saw them get, you know, took some took some blows, I suppose, the better way to put it. And, you know, they made that run in the second half, got it to 11, and then SLU answered right back, and, and they just could never really respond. Tonight in a game where they lead the whole way, you're up 15 in the second half, rolling along, you're up 10. Jamari Smith gets his fourth foul. AM goes on that Blitzkrieg 8-0 run. And it felt like that was the fork in the road moment for the game. Like we can, it's been a fun 35 minutes and it's time to fold up shop. And instead they answer with a 10 2 run and, you know, ultimately kind of end the game right there. I, I was, I was pleasantly stunned by the resiliency that we saw. And that's, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. I know, but this team to take a shot from a team like that and just not buckle You're, yeah. you feel that same way. I do. They had uh, really every excuse, and no one would have really blamed them if they ended up playing a really good game and uh, and then it slipped away at the end because from an experience standpoint, uh, four starters returned for Texas A&M. E.J. Burns, who had to go out and be re-recruited, returns for Murray State. But there's not a lot of cohesiveness yet because it's a new team to him. And the fact that they were able to do that, stay together, didn't see any finger-pointing infighting, and I said this was a night uh, – I did a, another podcast, uh, cheating on you there, Jeff, sorry, uh, <laughs> last night, and uh, said that this game, if you uh, are not prepared to play defense yet, and the freshmen aren't, they're not ready yet, it will be at some point, but they're not yet, you will not be playing today. And that's exactly what happened. Anyone who wasn't prepared to get to it defensively was a cheerleader today, and they needed the cheerleaders too. The, the racer crowd was great. I thought the bench was tremendous. They know their time will be coming. Some of those guys will get into games as it comes out. But this was one of those where uh, it was a fresh set of legs for the team. They were able to go with seven. Not sure they'll be able to do that tomorrow. And uh, the team, as you said, gutted it out, showed a lot of resiliency. And it was just up and down the lineup. Uh, It didn't matter who made a big shot. Somebody got a big rebound. It was a big steal. I know Quincy had a couple of turnovers that led to threes. That's when it looked like it was going to go down. Not a problem. Quincy uh, uh, continued to fight hard, and uh, I love it. Nobody got down on Quincy. No one said, hey, what are you doing out there? That's what a team is all about. Things go wrong? Okay, let's recover. Let's move ahead. And this was a tremendous win for the team. And also Steve Prohm, who also seems to make something magic happen. You know, he won 23 straight out of the eights. And tonight, Jacoby Wood gets 23 in the win for the Racers over Texas A&M. <laughs> All right, tomorrow, or I guess as people listen to this later today, it will be uh, Murray State and UMass here in the semifinals. Uh, I don't know how much you got to see. I'm sure you got to see just a little bit at least of, of uh, UMass picking off Colorado in the opening round. What's, uh, what's the nickel scouting report of what, uh, what the racers and their fans can expect from the Minutemen here in the semis? It's going to basically look like uh, that uh, Texas A&M handed their uniforms uh, or the UMass – the uniforms 
and put them on Texas A&M. It's, it's going to be a tough team. It's Frank Martin. I think a lot of that is you want to disappoint Frank Martin and go in the dressing room and listen to that. I wouldn't want to, and some of that might be that. But I also I think he's a really great coach, uh, fantastic in terms of defensive-mindedness and toughness, and we saw that today. Colorado never was able to get any sort of a run to put them away, and UMass, when it really counted, was able to put it away. Noah Fernandes, I thought, was uh, uh, terrific. Steve said he's recruited him, very familiar with him. Made big shot after big shot today. Uh, th- this is the team that when I saw them, Colorado had all that size. They have a seven-footer, 6'11", 6'9", that get significant minutes. In fact, two of those start. That really concerned me, but as it turned out, the racers will match up a lot better from a size standpoint with UMass, but they'll have to bring the toughness for 40 minutes to survive this one in advance to the Sunday championship game. All right, Neil. Enjoy the beach. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. So UMass is going to come into this game. They are also 2-1 and one on the season. Uh, they beat Central Connecticut State in their opener. Uh, lost to Towson at home by a dozen. I believe Towson's 4-0, and and they're off to one of their best starts ever. But that's a home loss to Towson. And then yesterday they go and they knock off Colorado. Uh, they, are, they are big, as Neil said. Uh, some of the names you will hear today. Uh, R.J. Luis, who is a 6'7 freshman guard. Averaging right around 12 points. Uh, shoots 50% from three so far in the early season. About 41% from the field. Uh, Isaac Canty. Uh, their forward. He is six foot eight, 240. Also averaging 12 points a game. Noah Fernandez. 5'11 guard at 12 points per game as well. So very... Uh, a lot of parity there, ball getting thrown around, no real leader in terms of offense. Uh, they shoot 34% from three, 45% uh, from the field. Not a very good free throw shooting team if this turns into a free throw shooting contest. You know, they're only shooting 60% from the line uh, so far this year. So something to watch there, as, as he said. They are big, but, you know, they have shown that they can be, uh, they can be beatable. Uh, early in the year it's just going to be a matter of you know I, I you know we talked about Steve and that starting five and you know you're only playing seven I just have to imagine especially with it being just such a quick turnaround uh, if there's any opportunity to just sneak an eighth guy in sneak a ninth guy in you know we see a little Sam Murray we see a little Justin Morgan just to spell some guys some minutes um, I would expect that uh, the box score when I went back and I uh, when I was watching the game again, uh, you know the box score had Kenny White as playing all 40 minutes uh, yesterday against A and M. And when I looked, I was like, oh, he did come out of the game. Uh, he came out of the game for, I believe it was four seconds. He came out. Uh, there was a quick possession, and there was literally a foul four seconds after. And Steve put him right back in the game. So, uh, 39 minutes, 56 seconds. Not quite the distance, but uh, but close enough. But again, just from a sustainability standpoint, uh, in these high-level, intense games, especially where, you know, these aren't just kind of free-flowing. Let's get out and we'll run and we'll shoot. And we'll kind of guard. You know, you're having to you're having to especially work on the defensive end. 
I don't know how ultimately sustainable that is over a four-day period to play that many games in a row without without trying to just just a little bit. You know, if Sam Murray played five minutes or Justin Morgan played five, six minutes, even spaced out across the game, uh, that could go a long way. And obviously, the more guys you see, you know, you certainly hope that's a good deal for Murray because that means, hey, we've got. Uh, uh, you're hoping that that situation that they are up considerably enough that uh, that Steve able to empty the bench a little bit and let some guys get in and let the uh, let those starters get some rest before the championship game coming up uh, on Sunday. Last point before I get out here this morning, it's just about the the maturation of this program, just the program, and I look back to. When I got here 20 years ago, and you know this Murray State program was the little engine that could, but the little engine that never did. They won the Ohio Valley Conference a lot, you know, all through starting in, you know, starting in '88. When they were, you know, got that first win over NC State, and then it was just the, the '90s, just an absolute decade of dominance, just winning conference championships, winning OVC tournaments, never winning in the NCAA tournament, and and even you know the decade was it the aughts, you know, 2000 to 2010, the winning slimmed a little bit. There was more rebuilding going on, you know, still still won tournament championships in 02, 04, 06. Mick Cronin left, had to rebuild it under Billy Kennedy. Finally win it in 2010. And then they finally kicked the door in and they beat Vanderbilt. And then obviously things just went to another level that, you know, has been spoken about ad nauseum from 31 and 2 to, you know, CIT championships and 25 in a row in 2015 to John Morant coming in and back-to-back OVC championships and you know wins over Marquette and now we're a, you know we're a seven seed again and we're you know we're going in as a you know beat San Francisco it's just there's a different it was always a sense of man when can we ever kind of kick in the door and they did. They beat Vanderbilt. They kicked in the door. And now and now it's just they're ready to kick in all the doors. Because that's just the, it's the difference in the vibe around the program. I said last night, 20 years ago, if Murray State had beat a top 25 team, they'd have been burning couches on campus because it was the biggest thing that ever happened. Kind of like you beat Vanderbilt as a 13 seed. In 2010. Absolute, (laughs) just euphoric celebration. Obviously, the way they won certainly amped that up, but it was still a a euphoric celebration. They finally won a game in the tournament after 22 years. Well, now they've won a game in 2010, 2012, 2019, 2022. They beat a top 25 team a hundred percent they were excited the fan base is excited but there's also this there is there is almost this level of 
calm around it from a standpoint of that's what we expect to do now. We expect to be able to roll out and beat anybody we can play. And this is not even the team. <laughs> I mean, this this is this ragtag bunch of guys we just bring together and Steve's trying to mold this thing together on the fly. But that's, that is where this program is. Does it have room to grow? A thousand percent. But to see how far it has come. To see how the level of expectation has been raised. And it's not just the level of expectation. It is the level of results has changed in the last 20 years. In the last 10 years, specifically. This is a whole new Murray State. And it's probably as appropriate as anything that now they're, you know, they're in a new conference and they can try to take advantage of that and parlay that into future success. And God help us all at some point finally kick in the door to the Sweet 16. And then you can start worrying beyond what's what's beyond that door. But when you kind of zoom out to 30,000 feet and just see this. It's not, it's not even just growth. I just I feel like mature, it has, the program has matured. And I think what's a really, really neat way. And it has been, it has been fun to be, to be here and to watch this growth over the years. And now, see where they can go next. Well, next, immediate next, is UMass. Today, 1.30 semifinals of the Myrtle Beach Invitational. We'll be back later on this afternoon, and we'll get it up, should be able to get it up pretty much right after the game with another Ride Home edition of the podcast. So until then, thanks for listening. If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe, leave us a review. It helps us out, all that good stuff. So we'll catch you on later today. Have a great day.